Welcome to the Better Than I Found It podcast. I'm Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University and your host today. My guest today is PGA Tour player Robert Streb, who's fresh off a recent win in the RSM Classic at Sea Island, Georgia. Robert and I discuss his unique background in hockey and how that has actually benefited his golf. As you'll hear, Robert is a very unique golfer, doing it his own way, not like the normal, prototypical PGA Tour player that you see out there, and I think it's really refreshing. Finally, Robert and I talk about the biggest struggle he's had on the golf course through the years and what he's doing to try to win that battle. Without further ado, let's get to the interview with Robert Strapp. All right, Robert Streb, welcome to the Better Than I Found It podcast. I want to really say a big thank you for coming on today, especially on the heels of uh, one of the biggest victories of your career. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat with you guys. Absolutely. You know, Robert, we'll get to this round, uh, but the RSM tournament that you won on the PGA Tour a couple of weeks back was a really, really fun thing to watch for me. Uh, You know, you and I have a relationship. We know each other so that Anytime I get to watch somebody on television uh, who's been chasing their dream, who does something significant like that, it's fun to watch. So um, anyway, that that to me was really good. But let's go back, if we could, earlier to a place we also have in common, and that's uh, Edmond, Oklahoma. You uh, you grew up in Edmond, played your junior golf, your high school golf there and all that. And I was a high school golf coach and a junior golf director there for years. So tell me a little bit about playing junior golf in Edmond, arguably one of the best cities in the United States for junior golf production, if you will. Yeah. Um, obviously when I was young, um, it was more just to kind of go with my dad, follow my dad. He's, you know, he was one of those guys that played every Saturday, Sunday. Um, and as I got a little older, he would, he would always take me on Sunday morning. Um, I think when I was six or I think it was six years old, they got a membership out at Oak Tree Country Club. So I was kind of a spoiled brat, but um, <laughs> every, every Sunday morning, he'd take me to play. Um, and it was just, uh, it was special for me. And then obviously getting to play and practice out there, there was, um, there was always kids around, always other good players. So there was, um, you know, all summer long, you could, you could go out and play all day and you had somebody to play with. And um, it was just uh a pretty special place for me to grow up playing golf. Yeah. I remember my years coaching there. It was amazing. How many, one, how many golf courses there were in Edmond in and around Edmond, how interested the parents were in getting their kids involved in junior golf. And then just the support that was given to the junior golfers, high school golfers. It was just quite frankly, was pretty amazing. So you grew up in that atmosphere and that environment, but you did something that was a little different than most of your junior golf counterparts. You were a hockey player, ice hockey player. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about that. And I want to hear about uh, how much a better athlete or hockey player you were than Sam Bradford, a Heisman Trophy winner, because I know you played with him. I was not better than Sam at much of anything, maybe golf, but that was about it. Um, he uh, he was very, very good at everything. Just one of those guys that um, showed him how to do it. He was very good at it. Um, obviously had the size too. So, um, but I, I got into it, um, played a little roller hockey and then about eight years old, my dad, uh, got me some ice hockey gear and stuff. And he was from Rochester, New York. So, um, he grew up playing hockey too and 
kind of got my brother and I into it and we, we really, really liked it. Um, you know, there was probably a stretch there where I liked it, may have liked it better than golf. Um, I thought it was just a lot of fun and, you know, you had all your teammates and all of that. Um, then I think after ninth grade, probably the last year I played with Sam, uh, it was kind of pick or choose one or the other. The seasons were running into each other. It was getting long. So, um, with my excellent stature and my lack of speed, it was a pretty <laughs> simple choice. <laughs> and, That's good. Uh, you know, we all make choices. I, it didn't take me very long to get to golf <laughs> when I was young. I had a lot of things that were keeping me from playing those other sports. But so that's an interesting background you have in hockey. I didn't know any other junior golfers when I was in Edmond that were hockey players. So that was interesting. But I also know that hockey players make pretty good golfers. There's a real transference, if you will. Tell me about how you think hockey may have actually helped you as a player. Um, Probably, you know, you get chewed up a little bit playing hockey. Um, You know, we, you don't always win. Um, you know, you get hit a little bit. You kind of got to pick yourself up um, when you get knocked down, stuff like that. So there's probably some of that in there. And then, um, yeah, I had, there's something to do with, um, you know, shooting the puck and a golf swing that, you know, they correlate a little bit. The hockey players almost always hook the ball. Uh-huh. <laughs> Baseball players almost always cut the ball. Um, so there's a lot of that, but, um, yeah, some of those, uh, guys that play hockey their whole life, they hit the ball a long way. They do. Well, I do like the fact that you were a a sport, you know, an athlete from another sport, and then you came to golf. And once you got to golf, it was pretty obvious that was where you wanted to be. You played at Edmond North high school and you guys won a state championship your senior year, correct? Yes. Yeah. On that team was a freshman that's playing the PGA tour now. Who, what was his name? Uh, Kevin Tway. I think he might've been a sophomore. Okay. He may have been a sophomore on that team. So he was only two years behind you then. Okay. Well, I had that wrong, but, uh, (laughs) one day Kevin's father, Bob Tway was up at Karsten Creek. Uh, and we were having lunch and we were talking, I've never told you this story. And I was talking to him about Kevin and how Kevin was doing. And he was talking to me about, the team, Bob paid you a compliment that I still remember to this day. He said that Kevin was a better person and a better golfer because you were, you were the leader on the team. And he, he said, we really need to get this guy to Oklahoma state. He is a great kid, great player, wonderful leader. And I'll never forget that we didn't end up getting you. You ended up going to Kansas state, but um, I remember Bob saying that and you could see it in his eyes. He meant it that you were a great leader for his son. And he always appreciated that. Had he ever told you that story? No, it's very flattering. Um, I didn't think I had that much impact on anybody when I was 18 years old, but um, nice to know I helped somebody. And um, Kevin uh, was a great player and his dad was so, he was so helpful those couple of years that Kevin was on the team. He would, you know, show us around the course. He hand drew a couple of yardage books for us. It was, um, it was really nice to have him around and have him, you know, just kind of show you around and maybe point out some things that, um, you know, maybe your high school coach or a parent wouldn't necessarily point out to you because he had done it for so long and was so good at it. He was good at it. But I, to me, what's poignant about that story is that he, he knew you were having an impact on his son. You didn't even know it. And here I'm telling you the story today and you had no idea 
think it's an important thing for coaches out there that are listening to realize what you say, how you say it. You're leading all the time. You just don't know it. And he was very appreciative of the leadership you had on that team and what you did for his son, Kevin. So I'll never forget that. I wanted you to know that today. But you ended up going to Kansas State to play your college golf. And uh, I know that you did. your team never made it to the national championship, but you did as an individual, did you not? I did my freshman year. Yes. And I think that was at uh, Sun River. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I have a good memory of Sun River. Nice spot. But, <laughs> um, but I, that's hard to do. It's hard to make the national championship as an individual. So you did that. You were obviously a good player. Had a great, great uh, career there. And you turned pro after your senior year. So sometime in 2009, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you didn't you didn't turn pro with status. I mean, you turned pro and you did like everybody else. You had to go out and earn it. Tell tell me about those first couple of years when you weren't playing the PGA Tour. You weren't even playing the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah, I uh, I had to go an extra semester to finish school, and um, they had the Oklahoma Open. I think it was maybe the second week of September, something like that. Um, so you know got some permission from my teachers and said, Hey, I'm going to go play. And, um, I go down there and I think it ended up being a rain shortened event for two rounds. I ended up winning the thing, made $6,000. Thought I was just rich. Thought it was amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, this is easy. Um, and, you know, finished school and then, um, played the Hooters tour for a couple of years in the first year. Um, pretty sure I lost money. And then it was, it was kind of difficult at times. Like I got out there and I, I just didn't have a very good appreciation for how many good players there were. I had all these guys that were um, from other small colleges, uh, some guys that had been at it a while that were very good. Um, and it was just different. And, you know, you kind of had to figure out how to travel, figure out how to play week to week at different places. And um, it was a really good learning experience. There were a lot of good players. And um, fortunately, uh I guess that second go around there at Q school, the first one was a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. I, um, I've had, had a tough last round at second stage, so I didn't get to third stage. I think I missed by one, maybe two. Um, and second to third stage is huge because you go from some form of status to absolutely nothing, depending on whether you get through or not. So next year came around, um, it's kind of in the same place in, um, I'd had a better year on the mini tour, but um, sitting in a similar place the last round at second stage and um, ended up getting through and um, didn't do all that great at third stage, but um, I kind of got on a bit of a run there after that. And it, um, you know, I got to the PGA tour relatively quickly once I got through Q school. You know, I I was looking through your uh, career. You asked me if I had it all in my head, not all of it, but I had some of it in there. But I was kind of confirming some of the things I knew. This has been sort of a testament to perseverance because people, when they see you win, like you did two weeks ago, when they see you win, that's kind of what they think. Okay, Robert Streb wins a golf tournament. He's a great player. There is no stress. <laughs> there are no downtimes. But your career has been, it. it's pretty safe to say, and I think I would be fair to say, your career's had a lot of valleys. It's had a lot of low spots. And as many highs as it's had, it's also had some low spots. So you've had to persevere. You've been with your back up against the wall on numerous occasions where you've lost your card by a shot or two. There was one year, and describe this one, if you would have just had one shot lower 
on any of the tournaments where you made the cut, you would have kept your card. Is that correct? What year was that? That was my rookie year. Um, the one that probably sticks out the most was, uh, I was finishing at Riviera. Um, I had Monday qualified, like nobody in my category got in. I get in um, and I got two holes left. I'm sitting inside the cut and it's getting dark. And I bogey the eighth hole, which, you know, whatever. It's a pretty hard hole. Um, and then go to nine. And I think I think I needed a par to make the cut. Um, hit a decent tee ball, hit it to the right. And it's pretty dark, but, you know, nobody's called it yet. And I'm a rookie and just made a silly mistake instead of just saying, hey, I'll come back the next day. I was like, I'll finish and end up kind of um, flubbing the chip, knocking it on the green, missed the putt, make double. Mm. So I end up moving the cut. Um, if I made bogey, I would have moved the cut and still made the cut, but instead I made double, let more guys in and proceeded to miss the cut. Um, and I know I missed a putt on the last hole at the Wyndham, um, and I'd hit a good putt and everything, but that one in LA really stuck out because, um, you know, all I had to do was probably just say, Hey, I'll see you in the morning. And instead I tried to finish and kind of learned that one the hard way. Well, and that, and there were several other times when you were backed up against the the wall and you got got your worked your way out you've won on the corn ferry tour and that got you your card one year correct yeah um 2018 that was a pretty hard year um i think about the only bright spot was my son being born <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the golf was really hard that year um i think i finished 180th on the fedex um shot pile at the last event at the Wyndham I was hitting the ball all over the place and it's a pretty skinny golf course and um basically went to Ohio State not expecting a whole lot but um you know trying to start fresh and just start over and see if I could uh muster something up over those playoffs and um kind of out of nowhere ended up winning that event and um got my card back uh, I, I watched that event on television was very excited to see that but that was another example of where perseverance because you didn't really have anything going for you at that point, no. but you just persevered through it, figured it out. And I, I learned this from actually a Kansas State graduate. His name is Jim Colbert, who I know you know. You probably met Jim on numerous occasions. But, but Jim did a great job. He won a lot on the PGA Tour, and he won a bunch on the Champions Tour. But he gave a speech one year when, we, when they hosted regional in 2003, and I didn't know what to expect from the speech but it was the best speech I've heard a golfer give ever. And basically it was how I, a very undersized average talent type guy have played pro golf for over 35 years. And, but he described how, when he got near the lead, he figured out ways to maximize and he knew it didn't happen very often, but when he did get there. And so I, I'm not going to say that there's a direct correlation there, but Many times when you've needed something and it had to happen, you've been able to make it happen. So you got to take a little bit of uh, either pride or a good feeling out of that anyway. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I guess when I really, really needed it quite a few times, I've um, I've managed to get out of there. I wish I just would not have to go back into those situations, <laughs> but uh, um, it, it's managed to pan out um, numerous times and um I'm not entirely sure why or why not, but, um, yeah, when I've gotten pinned in a corner, I've, I've well, managed to I get out. I think that speaks to the competitive nature you have, which is great. And again, over time, perseverance wins out if you've got it, 
But one, before we get a little further down the road, there's a couple other things I want to talk about. And one of them is you do it your own way. There's not a lot of guys that I checked the last time I looked that have a 10 finger grip and no glove on the PGA tour. It's that's a pretty rare commodity. Have you seen any others? Um, there, there's tends to be one nor the other, but not both. So, um, I think maybe Jonathan bird at one point might've done that, but I think he's got a glove now. And then Lucas Glover of all people doesn't wear a glove. Um, <laughs> and I think Wes Roach is the other one that doesn't wear a glove, but yeah, it's, it's not many. And it, um, you know, I could probably put one on, but it's just, it was a feel thing as a kid and it, it's always been all right. And then, um, Tosh Hayes, my instructor, he, you know, he kind of let me run with it as a kid. So it was, um, it was nice for me to not have to try to make any big changes or try to overhaul my swing. And, um, you know, it's worked out really well. The, uh, the, the beauty of that, and you mentioned Tosh and I was going to ask you about Tosh, but Tosh played high school golf for me years mm -hmm. and years ago. And Tosh asked my opinion a long time ago about your golf swing. And the, the advice I gave him was, you know, I can't talk about Robert swing because you see it a lot. I don't see it that much. I know it's unique. I know it's different. I know he's got a, you know, a different grip and all of that. But what I told him was what you, you, the two of you together are doing seems to be working. I don't know why you would just change it because it's not the fashion or what everybody else is doing. And, um, he took that advice, and I think even though I'm not taking credit for that, I mean, he was probably going to go that direction anyway, but I don't think he's ever thought about changing your grip. I don't think he really wants to change your grip. And so here's somebody doing it his own way, and it works. Who in the world is out there that says, have you had people ask you, why don't you change to a overlapping interlocking? Uh, when I was younger, and I remember I sat on the range one time, I think it was with Kevin and whoever else, and I started poking around with those grips and I felt like the club was going to go halfway down the range. So I was huh. like, this isn't going to work. Um, I'll just stick with what I got. Well, there's a good lesson in there. A lot of people think it has to be cookie cutter and it has to look a certain way. All I know is if you can trust where that ball is going, you've got a good grip. <laughs> you don't need a glove if you can trust where it's going. And a lot of people don't see that. Do you think the hockey background had anything to do with the 10 finger grip? Um, Probably, um, you know, when you, you're playing hockey, you got all your all your fingers on the stick um, trying to get the best sturdiest grip you can get, which, you know, maybe is a little different from golf, but um, it's the same thing. You want all the control over the stick that you can get. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you know, I, I noticed and I had to look on the PGA Tour website to get this, but you mark your ball. Or, I mean, you play a golf ball that matches the round of the tournament you're playing in. So if you're in round one, you're playing a one, correct? Yeah. I I don't even know where I started that. I've, for some reason, I feel like I was watching something somewhere, reading something somewhere, and like Jeff Sluman or somebody did that. And I was like, huh, that's not a bad idea. I'll give that a run. And then I don't ever have to think about what golf ball I'm playing either. <laughs> you know, it's funny because the, there's a superstition in there too that, you know, you kind of, I've been doing this. Maybe I need to do it. I used to mark my ball where Abraham Lincoln on the penny was looking straight down the line where I wanted the ball to go. And I always put Abraham the coin down right mm -hmm. where I wanted to start that line. I mean, I was already reading the putt yeah. and I still haven't changed. That's interesting. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anybody doing that. 
Well, he was a pretty insightful guy. He taught himself how to read, reading the Bible. And I figured he was pretty successful. Surely he could read this putt for me. And uh, <laughs> But we all have superstitions. So I like the one of playing that ball, uh, the number of the round that you play. Um, and we talked about um, uh, Tosh Hayes earlier, but, you know, a lot of people would would indicate that, you know, maybe you need a swing guru or some kind of uh, – because those guys exist and there's a fashionable – how many tour players does Tosh teach? One, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe yeah. that's all he needs. I don't maybe. know. But, but anyway, I think the two of you guys work well together. I love that. Um, but you do it your own way. Keep doing it your own way. I think that's the best way to do it. And um, I think it's going to help you in the long run. You and I have, how long have we known each other? Quite a few years. Yes. And um, I felt like I got to know you a little better as I got older. Um, yeah. But yeah, known you for a long time. Yeah, for sure. And uh, one of the things that I, I want to talk about and be very blunt, frank, honest, upfront with you here is uh, something that you you know exists. I've known it exists all through the years, but uh, one of the things that's kind of probably held you back a little bit as a player through the years has been uh, negative self-talk. So I'm not one of those people that says, oh, everything's perfect and let's just all be positive and everything's happening. I'm not, life is real and so is golf and so is competitive golf. But, but I know negative self-talk has a real, real impact on how you play, how you handle adversity, how you handle adversity over time. So let's talk a little bit about that because we've talked about it in the past personally. I've just never talked to anybody publicly about it. Yeah. Um, it, it's probably, it's been that way since I was a little kid, um, had a bad temper. Um, and I felt like I got a little better at it there for a while, um, later in high school, maybe early on in college. And then, um, I, I guess, maybe sometimes as a pro, it's just, uh, you get, get a little stuck in the results and, um, yeah, kind of beat myself up a little bit. I'll have a couple bad holes, um, and spend more time getting angry at myself and, um, you know, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Um, instead of just, you know, accepting it, shoving it aside and, um, getting onto the next one, which is probably not the best quality, but, um, I've done it plenty of times. Um, I've even sat on the phone uh, with you for a good amount of time talking about, um, you know, getting yourself in the right frame of mind, getting over it, um, getting yourself ready for the tournament instead of spending time um, trying to figure out what's wrong or why you're, um, you know, why you're having miscues or, or other things like that. Well, I've always been a believer that part of the reason that happens when somebody's doing that is because they do expect so much out of themselves. So in one respect, it's actually pretty good that you would say those things because it's like, you know, I believe I should be doing better than what I'm doing. But when it spills over into the just beating yourself up senselessly, I think that's when it becomes a problem. And uh, I know it's held you back at times, but how have you how have you been able to find ways to overcome it to allow you to get past it? Um, yeah, I mean, 2018 in particular, I probably spent more time than anybody should beat myself up a little bit. Um, you know, I kept missing a cut by one here, there, everywhere. Um, you know, and you get, I don't know, you, you kind of, your goals change, you get kind of bring yourself down enough. Um, 
you know, where it makes it hard to compete. You go out and let's say you bogey the fourth hole and you're hardly into the tournament and you're already mad. Um, you're already upset. Um, so, so some of that's tough, but then yes, on the flip side, you have a lot of expectations. You feel like you can do well. Um, so I guess some of that has been trying to come with, come to grips with, you know, um, having good expectations when you show up being in a good frame of mind, if you, you know, you make a couple bad swings to start, so what, um, and kind of get on with it. So it, it's been a learning process and, um, and sometimes you have to go back and remind yourself that, um, when things aren't going your way, um, even if you've had a great run of success, um, it's just kind of one of those things I feel like for me, I always have to work on a little bit. Well, I think you've worked on it very well through the years. Honestly, I do. And I think you just mentioned that something sometimes you get the fourth hole of the tournament. And because of this beating yourself up over and over and over, your resilience threshold is way low. It's way down there. It doesn't take anything to get you to that spot again. And there it might just be a misdrive, just miss a fairway. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know how if there was an easy answer to this. Uh, I would have told you 10 years ago, uh, sports psychologists would be out of the business. There'd be nobody that could help anybody with anything because we'd have the answer already. So that answer doesn't exist. But everybody does have an answer and you're finding it. And I think that's great. And I, I, I wouldn't want to mention a tournament because there's a lot of people that are confused. Back in 2015 at the Greenbrier, mm -hmm. <laughs> you uh, finished regulation putting with a sandwich, correct? I did. Yes. And there were a lot of people that mistakenly thought you broke your putter over your knee, that you had a terrible attitude, their terrible temper. Let's set them straight right now on that. How did the putter break that day at the Greenbrier? I don't know that I can set them straight on my attitude. Um, <laughs> it wasn't very good. I, that, um, I, I felt like I was playing good, but I, I was, I wasn't making anything and I was frustrated. Um, I think I just missed a, I don't know what it would have been 12 footer for birdie on the ninth hole. So I, I go to kind of toss my putter over by the bag. Um, I don't know what I threw it, eight feet, nine feet. Um, not too far kind of trying to get it to land and stand up against the bag. Well, it's a bad throw. And then about this far underneath the, um, the grip, it, I guess, I don't know, four, six inches into the grip hits the bottom cylinder of the bag bounces off pretty hard. Like you can see the shaft flex and then I see the head kind of take off into the grass. And I'm like, Oh, that's going to be a problem. And I've, the way they had made the putter at the time, I had broken it before, um, by mistake. And they ended up after that tournament, putting a different piece in there that I've never had an issue with since, but, um, yeah. And then in a ditch effort, call the rules official over and um, I didn't do it on purpose. It was all accident, all this, that, and the other. Can I get a new putter? And he's like, uh, unfortunately, no. So I'm like, okay. So, you know, get going. Uh, I'd hit my second shot in. I ended up hitting it really close on 10 and um, sitting there talking to Steve Catlin, my caddy, and well, which wedge do you think we should use? I haven't really done this. <laughs> so we're like, well, the sand wedge has got a little straighter edge than the lob wedge. We'll go with that one. And I mean, I got a two foot putt and I, it barely gets over the front edge. It didn't have a lot left in it. Um, so I ended up doing that and then making about a, 
I don't know, five, six footer on 11. And um, he goes, all right, we're in this. And, you know, he's trying to be all excited. I'm like, Steve, we're putting with a wedge. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and then, you know, obviously everybody's seen everything. I make a really good par putt on 12, um, trying to two putt from the wrong level. Um, make a long one on the next hole. Uh, had a good chance on the next hole, missed one. And then I get to 16 and pour one in. And uh, here we are tied for the lead. And 17, bang one down there. Um, I don't know what I had, a 60-yard 60, 60 wedge in. Um, don't hit a real good one. Got, I don't know, 18 feet. And I got – I was a little jittery, and I ended up just getting a perfect roll on it, smashing it five or six feet by. It was right on line, but I hit it way too hard. Um, missed the one coming back and get to 18, and I got to make a two. And um, – putting with a wedge that didn't look super promising, but hit one in there pretty good made a downhill left to rider. And, um, lo and behold, I had a chance. Yeah. I, okay. So the truth is you didn't break it over your knee. We're just tossing it to the bag and sorry. I went out a rabbit hole there. Okay. No, no, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. That's good. And you played a really good back nine with a sandwich with a, I guess it was a sandwich and got to a play. And he didn't win that playoff. In fact, in your career, that's the only playoff you've ever lost, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, Kevin Kisner and I were both in that yeah. playoff. Yeah, that's right. Um, so anyway, uh, I did want to pe set people straight right there. The negative self-talk that you've had, the struggles you've had with battling that through the years, obviously you win that battle more now than you used to, and it's great. And I, I just applaud you for it. I know it's not easy, but I know you're also well on your way. So let's talk a little bit about now if we can get to something that happened more recently. And that is at the RSM a couple of weeks ago, you, you, you were literally playing a great, great golf tournament. You, I think you bogeyed your 11th hole of the first round, number mm -hmm. two, because mm -hmm. you teed off on the number 10. And then you didn't have a bogey again until deep into the last round. Mm -hmm. And you had one stretch there where you made several birdies in a row. You were, I mean, you were just playing beautifully and you had a three shot lead with 18 holes to play. Mm -hmm. So you've been in the lead in a golf tournament going into the last round. You know how the pressure is. Well, tell us how the pressure was. What were you thinking? You hadn't won in a while. Uh, I had not. Um, I was pretty happy after Saturday. Um, I got off to a pretty shaky start with the ball striking the first four holes. Um, managed to get a bunch of pars. So I, I felt pretty good. I kind of hung on on Saturday um, after I had a little bit of a head start after Friday because I'd shot – nine under in the second round. So, um, same kind of thing is just, um, I guess sitting on a lead for that long to me, I hadn't had a lot of practice at it. Um, you know, you're a little uncomfortable, a little, little uneasy. Um, but, um, I felt like with the wind calming down a little bit and everybody for the most part being pretty far behind, um, you know, they were just going to, kind of shoot for the fences, see if they get hot. And I figured a few guys would, um, kind of felt like if I got to 20 under, I had a decent chance just because, um, everybody would have to shoot a pretty low number, uh, to catch me. And it was, I don't know. It, it's one of those things for me, you kind of got the butterflies all day. You're trying to, trying to push them aside. And, um, I think the seventh hole, sixth, seventh hole was kind of where I'd calm down a little bit. Um, 
hit a really good putt on six. It didn't go in, but I'd finally hit a, a really good solid putt and then um, ended up making birdie on seven and, uh, you know, kind of calmed down a little bit and felt better about what I was doing. Made a good about 20 footer on nine for birdie. I did. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. So you, you kind of righted the ship there. And I say righted the ship. You parred the first six holes. It's not like you were falling apart, but other guys were making a lot of birdies. And so I'm watching this thinking, Robert, come on now. Let's, let's, let's get something going here. Make a birdie now and again. So you made those two birdies. I felt pretty good. And I going into the back nine, you parred 10, 11 and 12. And then 13, you hit a ball short side. I did. Um, I, I knew like it was fine if I hit it 15, 20 feet right of the hole. Um, I knew that. And I ended up just kind of coming over it, pulling it, um, hit it down there. And, um, I hit a pretty good pitch up there and I'd been putting really, really well all week. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd missed a putt inside 10 feet. Um, I'd miss hit very few putts. Um, and that one, I, I, uh, just kind of came out of it, kind of wiped it and, you know, his first real bad putt I'd hit all week and, um, a little upset about it, but, um, I knew if I could par 14, I'd have another crack at it on 15 and, um, you know, did what I wanted there and got to 15 and, uh, a little bit of a mental error there. I, I chipped coming back the other way the day before and, and knew it didn't really break coming down the hill. Well, I played for this double breaker and, um, it never went left going up the hill and then went right. Um, that being said, I didn't have too hard a putt coming at a five, maybe six footer up the hill, nothing terrible. And, um, misread that one too. the grain kind of pushed it to the right. And so at that point, um, I was a little upset because I'd been putting so well. Um, obviously guys had caught me at that point and, um, I was a little frustrated because I putted so well and then, um, kind of missed a couple of pretty decent chances there. Well, and, and this is exactly where I wanted to get to this point in the round because you've short-sighted yourself on 13, missed a five-footer. 15, you hit the green in two and three putt, missed a five or six-footer. So now all of a sudden, a lot of that momentum, certainly the momentum you had on the greens and the, the momentum you felt like you had in the week seems to be waning. Hit a really good approach in there on 16 and missed the putt. Mm-hmm. about a 12 footer downhill, maybe a little bit or. Yeah, it, uh, it was, it would, it was a pretty flat putt. Um, and I thought the grain was going to take it to the right and, um, it did nothing. I didn't even hit that bad a putt. Um, it was just a flat misread. So at that point, um, feeling a little, uh, a little disappointed cause you know, I'd hit a couple of pretty decent putts that didn't go in and, um, I didn't know at that point if Kisner was going to make another birdie and it was going to make it really tough to catch up. Well, yeah, and you were getting ready to play a really tough hole. 17, as the announcers were talking about it, most of the players were hitting five irons. Some were hitting six irons. Most were hitting five irons. And so you don't normally think of a back pin five iron uh, as much of a birdie hole. And you needed to make a birdie, that's for sure. Tell me about that shot, because I've got to think that was a pretty dramatic shot in your career at this point. Yeah, it, um, yeah, that pin's back right. So for me, it's it's not a great pin anyway, because I like to draw the ball. Um, and it, it's always a hard one. That one always seems to be kind of a hard one to get the right distance. Um, 
and I don't really know why. Um, you kind of the wind tends to chew it up if you try to cut it back in there or whatever it might be. And there wasn't a lot of wind at that point. And um, for me, trying to hit a hard drawing six iron, and there's a little bank on the right um, to help feed it in. And I mean, as long as you don't go right of that, but it's um, there's a nice little bank there. And to me, just trying to hit a hard draw six iron seemed a lot easier than trying to hit a, a cut five iron to that pin at that point in time. Well, you're hitting a shot you trusted, a shot you've seen thousands of times in your life. And so you hit it in there about how many feet was that? How long was that putt? Oh, 10 or 12 maybe. Yeah. And, um, you know, Steve had kind of been helping me read putts and stuff. And um, I was a little frustrated because we'd, we'd misread the last couple. And um, he's kind of looking around and he's starting to tell me about, you know, what he saw and this and that. And um, some of it was probably my frustration, but I was like, ah, I got it. Um, I'm going to go because I felt like I had a decent handle on it and, um, you know, hit a really good putt and ended up getting the read right that time. Buried that one. That was pretty good. Speaking of Steve, uh, nicknamed Catman, where did we get that? Just from the name Catlin? Or... His last name's Catlin. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he's been through most of this for you for many, many years, a lot of this frustration. So I'm sure he was feeling many of the same things you were at that point. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's trying to be as positive as he can and, you know, um, you know, keep me moving forward instead of, um, you know, sitting there and pondering about missed shots or missed putts because um, there was still, you know, enough time left to uh, have a crack at it and then ended up having a chance to win it in regulation um, by the time it all shook out. Right. And so that didn't happen. So you're going into playoff with Kevin Kisner, whom you've been in a playoff with before. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first tee shot in that playoff hole, you nudged it up the left side and went into that bunker and you didn't really have a shot at the green at that point, did you? No, it was just a, I mean, that fairway is not that narrow. <laughs> I hit this kind of low, low screaming hook over there. Um, obviously goes in the bunker and I'm, I'm really hoping it's not too close to the lip. And, uh, you know, it was close enough that I was never going to get to the green. And um, the water on that angle kind of sneaks in between you and the hole. Um, you know, I think I needed to hit it at least 150 or 55 to make sure I got over the pond. So we were contemplating, do you go to the right and, you know, kind of pitch it out of there and take a pitch in, or um, do you push it a little bit and, my fairway bunker play is nothing exciting. So um, I just took the eight iron. It was, um, it was going to have to be a good one to get over the lip. Um, And I hit a really, really good shot and got it right about as good as I could have done from there. And then hit sort of an average pitch to about 12 to 15 feet. It wasn't very, very close. It it wasn't great. Um, I was just hoping I could make par and, and sneak out of there. Um, Kevin obviously had a really good crack at it. Um, and the way he'd been playing, it, there was a pretty good chance he was going to make it. But I felt like if I could make a four, get out of there um, and get another chance at it, it would be, I don't know, kind of like getting out of jail free, I guess. But, uh, yeah, the pitch wasn't very good. I kind of – I just didn't hit it um, going up that hill. But I felt like I had a good read based on the putt from regulation, it was a little farther, farther to the right. So I knew it would break and, um, you know, I hit a, hit a really, really good putt. Yeah. 
you, I mean, that was similar to 17. You just buried it. Beautiful, but n- never a doubt. And then you go into the second playoff hole. And uh, when I texted you after the tournament, you had no idea that ball almost went in the hole. Mm-mm. Great Not wedge from the left rough. I mean, almost went in the hole. Amazing shot. And so anyway, you win the golf tournament. Um, is is that a surreal uh, moment for you? Because, I mean, you probably didn't coming into the week, other than you'd had success there before. Did, is that something you were thinking you were going to win that week? No. Um, I felt like I'd been playing better, um, but wasn't necessarily getting the results, but um, felt like some good improvements were being made on the my swing and my putting. Um, I hadn't putted like that in I don't know how long. Uh, that was as good as I've putted in a very long time. And it was uh, pretty unexpected and then, um, you know, was – really happy I could hang on to a lead for that long, even though I lost it late, um, you know, basically sitting out front for most of the tournament and, and hang on was really nice. Well, and that changes your life a little bit for the next several years. You've got a full exemption through 2023. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that must be, I mean, I don't like to ask people about feelings. What's that feel like? So, I mean, that's a pretty good realization knowing that you've got a job. There's a lot of more of a foot on the gas pedal, less, less stress. Yeah. It's um, I don't know. You don't have to wait till the Friday before to see if you're going to get in. Um, you know, you can, I guess you can play with a little more, more freedom, I guess. Um, you know, if you miss a few cuts here and there, it's, it's not, it doesn't seem like as big a deal, but um, kind of be able to pick and choose and then obviously get some starts and some tournaments that, um, everybody really likes to play in is it's huge. What are some of the events that you know you're going to get to play in because of this? Um, it got me into the century tournament of champions in Maui, which is where I'll start again. Um, that's always a good one. It's like sure. 35 guys. Those no, are all, cut. <laughs> no cut. Um, get into the players, Augusta, um, the PGA, and then the WGC um, St. Jude. That's fantastic. Yeah, that that certainly sets up a, a better schedule for you. And then, again, the assurance every week knowing if I want to play next week, I can play next week. I don't have to wait. So, yeah, it's it's really nice. Um, yeah, you can set your schedule. You know when to prepare, um, all of that stuff. So, it yeah, it's just a really nice perk. Well, you earned it. <laughs> you earned it winning. That's that's amazing. I, I'm um, – I'm a big fan of your, yours. I always have been, but I certainly am. And it probably started that day that Bob Tway told me about you and just uh, your character. But I'm a big fan also of somebody who, who, as we said earlier, does it his own way. You've got, this is how you play golf, and you're not going to let anybody else tell you, no, you better do it a different way. You know, I, I remember an, a, um, an interview with Lee Trevino one time, and somebody was saying, Lee, you've got kind of a funky action. How do you make this work? What do you do? And why don't you get one of these instructors? Because, and I'm not against instruction by any stretch. Mm-hmm. You and Tosh, there's instruction involved there. There's no question. But I, I am against somebody that thinks it has to look a certain way. I just don't believe that. And I haven't for a very long time. But I, I, I look back on it and I say, Lee Trevino said, well, yeah, sure, I'll go take a lesson from him. As soon as he can beat me, I'll take a golf lesson from him. <laughs> now, that may be a little extreme because there are great instructors who cannot ever beat the player that they're teaching. But I, I will say that there is value in Robert Streb knowing this is how I do it. 
and this is what brings me success. And as I said earlier, if you continue to chip away at this, uh, the way you talk to yourself and the way you believe in yourself, yeah, I think you get to this game for a very, very long time and play it well. So uh, congratulations on all the work you've done. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And yeah, the, um, yeah, and I guess one of the other big things with Tosh helping me is he could, he could always make it very simple for me. Um, I'm not one of those people that can understand all the, all the biomechanics of the small movements and not to say that's wrong for anybody, but, um, he, he always made it very simple and easy for me and easy to process. Well, and I think there's some genius in that sometimes less is more and, he, if you had one of those brains that loved all those details, he'd probably figure out a way to get those details for you, but, but he doesn't need to, you don't need them. So great work. Well, Robert, again, congratulations. Before you go though, we're going to do a speed round. Oh yeah. You're not getting away that, that easy today, but I I do want to say thanks again for coming on the podcast today. Are you you ready for this speed round? Maybe. (laughs) All right. Here we go. All right. It's about seven or eight questions. No big deal. Should be easy. All right. Could you have made it in the NHL? I would like to think so, but no. Okay. <laughs> All-time favorite hockey player? Ooh. Ah. Mario and, Lemieux. And why? Ah. He uh, he was huge when I was a kid. Just uh, a really good goal scorer. He ended up being a, a very big guy, but he was he was one of the big guys in the league. And um I, I guess just like any kid, you're kind of uh, you're kind of drawn to the guy that's one of the big deals in the league. And I was a little bit, little bit young to appreciate Gretzky, so he was uh, he was a big deal for me. All right. So in the same realm, what golfer did you feel the same way about? Hmm. As I got older, tw- I really liked Bob Toy just because of all the stuff he was able to do for us, um, help us, all that stuff. And then, um, you know, I also didn't appreciate what Tiger was doing until I got a little older. Like, it was like, why is this guy always winning? Why are these guys look like they're collapsing? Um, And, you know, as you get older, it's just absolutely phenomenal what that man did. I agree. And I agree with you on Bob. One of the most underrated great players that's ever been, and I know he struggled for a while, but but uh, a very humble guy and uh, probably one of the hardest working guys on the PGA Tour during his time. Okay, you got a meal that you have to prepare for a golf term. Is it steak or fish? Are those my two options? Those are your only two options. Steak. And then if you had your option of anything in the world, what would it be? Ooh, ah. Uh... Probably my dad's lasagna. I'm a pretty big fan of that. There you go. I like that. Uh, so you have three sporting events. You have to choose one. You, you don't. You don't get to watch all three. Are you going to watch the Penguins and the Stanley Cup? Are you going to watch the Steelers in the Super Bowl or the Thunder in Game Seven? Ah. Uh, ooh. Probably the Penguins, Stanley Cup. Okay. Still got that hockey blood in you. I like that. <laughs> George Strait or Luke Bryan? Ooh. Ah. Well, that's two different eras. Uh, I guess I'll go with George Strait. Thank you. Gosh. any The first guy that answers Luke Bryan on that, I'm going to have a serious, serious – we're going to have another podcast. All right. Remember the Titans or Shawshank Redemption? This is horrible and horrible and horrible. Yeah. 
I don't know that I've watched the Shawshank Redemption all the way through. Okay. And I, that is really disappointing on my part, but I am a huge Remember the Titans movie fan. I really enjoyed that movie. Okay. Well, I'm a huge fan of both, but Remember the Titans, great. No problem. You need to watch the Shawshank Redemption I, all the way through. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty poor on my part. I've never actually watched that. All right. Who, in your opinion, is the world's fastest ice cream eater? You. Thank and you. My college coach was not far behind you. Tim Norris, he was really good at eating ice cream. Huh? Pretty quick. <laughs> okay, I like that. Uh, your dream foursome, you and three others. Who are those three players? Uh, probably take my brother and then go with, let's see. I got three others. I guess two my brother. Others. You, your brother, and two others. Uh, take my dad and then – I don't know. I think Arnold Palmer would be pretty fun. I think that'd be good. That would be really good. The King. All right. Last question. One piece of advice you'd give to any junior golfer or college golfer that wants to be where you are today, just in your opinion, something humble that you might think would really help them. Can I kind of go with three? Yes, you may. <laughs> uh, I would, I would go with the hard work, self-belief. And then um, I think patience is pretty important too. Perfect. You think you're great at all three of them? Oh, no. They always need work. There you go. I love it. Well, Robert, thank you so much. Uh, being an Oklahoman, I'm really excited that your career continues to you know, thrive and that you keep on moving forward. And with, uh, I know a lot of people in Oklahoma that were really, really excited when you won a couple of weeks ago. So thanks again for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And hopefully I'll get to do it again sometime. Absolutely. We'll do it. Maybe we'll do it when you win a major one day. How about that? Yeah, I like that. That works. I'll be standing in line, though, with a bunch of other people. That may be rough to get in that one. We'll, we'll, we'll scoot you toward the front. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Yep. All right. Well, have a good day and uh, have a great Christmas this year. Hey, thank you. You too. Uh-huh. We'll see you. See you.